0: We're still willing to use reason, but you're willing to use tear gas.
1: Welcome to Surviving Society.
0: This season's broad theme is how we continue to deal with the legacies of empire.
1: We are here for another episode with journalist extraordinaire Luke Butterley. Hello, Luke. Hiya. Luke was in London for one week only, and we managed to fit in an interview with him about the Gilets Noirs. Luke, could you tell us who the Gilets Noirs are and how you came to be reporting on the movement and the protest in France?
2: The Gilets Noirs, or black vests, yep. reference to the, the yellow vest movement. that has Who been... are the
1: yellow vests? So I'm going to do loads of, like, I'm going to lose (laughs) in Lulo's question just so we're really clear about who everyone
2: is. The yellow vests, I can best summarise it as very broad movement in France that has led to a lot of... It's a difficult one, isn't it? They're a massive
0: group of amalgamation of different groups.
2: Yeah, there is a bit of gap between actually organised trade union um, strikes, like the strikes we've been seeing over the past... Couple of months yeah. uh, against these pension reforms in France mm-hmm. and the Yellow Vest protests. Even though there's a lot of overlap and similarity, and and so on, it's, it's a point of issue for the trade unions that mm-hmm. this is a movement kind of kind of outside of them. Even if there's obviously people who are trade union members in it, why I kind of struggle maybe to give you a short, snappy answer for them. There's a lot of different ideas there. There's a lot of different goals, and so on. in general, it's a kind of reaction to the economic crisis happening across the world, economic crisis happening in France, mm-hmm. the kind of election of Emmanuel Macron, what they see as his kind of neoliberal views of of how France should be run, how the state should be run, the kind of, you know, who should be taxed more, who should be paid more, these kind of things. So, you know, a long, long trajectory of resentment and, and so on, but kind of, I guess, exploded with uh, with his election and what they they see what it uh, symbolises, but there's a lot of variety and kind of left-wing goals, we might say, or right-wing goals, yeah, within that movement. And e- even to kind of call it a movement... It, I it, know, it's, you know it's, it's
1: sticky, isn't it?
2: Because it's not like, you know, obviously in all these kind of movements, people come who are kind of figureheads leaders or whatever, but it's, it's not really organised in that way. There's not really that kind of structure or anything. For, for the purpose of understanding the black vests... The Yellow Vest has been a movement of, of French people who have been protesting regularly um, since about November 2018 uh, in reaction to President Macron's mm-hmm. economic policies have been met with very violent police repression. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing um, thing and a still very unresolved force, I guess. Mm-hmm. And for the Black Vests then, as they've explained in statements and explained to me, um, they saw this movement of people who were kind of fighting for their rights, you know, really going, going hard against the French state and, and the president and so on, demanding what they believed was owed to them. They took some inspiration from that um, and said, you know, what, what, what can we do? How can we kind of organize ourselves?
1: And the makeup of Black Vests are what's classed as, in quotations, undocumented. Migrants, yeah. and these ten, these are predominantly from Francophone countries. Is that right?
2: Is yeah. So there's, um, yeah. So so in short, the, the the Gilets Noirs are a group of kind of militant undocumented migrants, mostly in Paris, but have, are are doing some kind of activism outside of it. Um, and throughout last year, they kind of grabbed headlines with their demonstrations and occupations, strategic and symbolic locations in, in Paris. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of, of the makeup of them, yes, it's people who are in precarious immigration situations in France. And so this might be someone who is kind of completely undocumented, doesn't have any kind of pending uh, immigration claim with, with the authorities, and might be someone who is seeking asylum it might be someone who you know has has been turned down from asylum it might be someone who is affected by something called the dublin regulations Um, this is like a kind of eu policy whereby if you've come to the eu to seek refugee status you're supposed to claim with within the first country you've you've come to this isn't part of international refugee law this is just an eu policy but nonetheless there's lots of people who are in france Perhaps were previously in Italy uh, or another country right. and uh, or in Greece exactly w- want to live and, and work and so on in France and 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 the government is trying to, to to send them away and obviously paradoxically we know that there's lots of people who are in France who want to be in in Britain for example because they have family here or, or connections of another kind so um, yeah.
1: So it's really interesting because it's a combination of people seeking asylum, people that have been obstructed by the Dublin... Regulation. And also people that want to work as well, people mm. working in the service industry within the capital. Yes. Right? Yeah.
2: And, and an important point that the, the Gilles Noir's and other people have made is that some people became illegal, as in they lived in France with a, a residence permit of some kind, and through a change in their personal circumstances or a change in the law, they you know no longer met the very strict requirements and became illegal. And last November or December, there was some protests around the um, kind of offices where you would put in your claims for a renewal of residence permit and so on, where these offices have moved to a, kind of like an online <laughs> booking system. And the delays are so long, they're kind of in, into the years, basically, that people who are working in order, as it were, become illegal, in air quotes, by the time they get an appointment. Um, so they're kind of talking about you know, the ways in which um, austerity works in, hand in hand with mm-hmm. these kind of repressive... So that is just to say that there is the French estimates is there's around 300,000 people who are undocumented in France. Um, but there's a, a wide range of kind of reasons why people are in in, in that situation um, and then will be a larger number of people who are in kind of precarious status mm-hmm. but the the, the, the Noirs themselves are are people who they, they claim a membership of about a, a thousand to one and a half thousand people and at their various kind of protests they have had numbers of, of around 600 people like at a, a single kind of event so so that is it is possible that mm-hmm. you know that is their their membership. And, and in terms of country of origin, people come from all around the world, as is the way with all kind of migration. Mm. But a lot of people, especially in this movement, come from former French colonies in North and West Africa.
0: My next question would be, how is the, I don't know if you, did you get a sense of what the reaction, what the French people thought of the Gilets Noir? Are they sympathetic on the, on the whole or are they the opposite? To kind of
2: become visible to kind of highlight what's going on to them and, and what they want done about it around uh, november 2018 they started to hold demonstrations and they, they've always chosen sites which have some kind of generally symbolic value the first one was at the uh, immigration museum in paris The second one was at the uh, Comédie Française, which is like a national theater. And, you know, the the director is appointed by the government. And, and, you know, these ties to the state with these kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, cultural institutions and so on. Various other kind of demonstrations of that nature. But it wasn't until March of last year that they had their first occupation. And that was of a terminal of Charles de Gaulle Airport, uh, which is the largest airport in, in France and so they kind of held that part of the terminal for a couple of hours, completely peacefully, although they were mm-hmm. um, tear-gassed by, by the police. They asked for a meeting with a representative of, of Air France, which they called the, the official um, deporter of, of France, and they wanted to impress upon them to, to stop aiding in, in, in deportations of, of, of any kind. While they were at the airport, in their kind of statements that they handed out to to onlookers and journalists and so on, they kind of laid out a bit of their their philosophy, you might say, which was looking at um, the situation that they're ongoing, that they're enduring in France. So they were talking about homelessness, about um, kind of poor living conditions, about... uh,
1: Harassment with employers... Uh, I didn't, rea- didn't realise that was one, sorry. To yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Yeah,
2: yeah a, a big, big issue for them and an issue which kind of gained more and more importance in their work as 2019 went on was, was uh, harassment from, from their employers. And they were kind of talking about as people who are in the state illegally and don't have the right to work, when they get a job, they're in a very kind of vulnerable position and their employer can... Either make them work in, in, in kind of poor conditions, withhold pay, make them take the most kind of dangerous, degrading jobs. Um, and then also if they complain or, you know, they try and get what's owed, say you're fired or I'll call the cops or, you know, people didn't have a lot of redress. So they were talking about the kind of the, the, the practical issues of day to day rough sleeping, your employer, just taking the metro. People say, you just take the metro. And uh, obviously, you know, you don't have your immigration status written written on your jacket, but black people yeah. moving around, are likely to get stopped, have an ID check. And uh, if you don't have your, if your paper's in order, you know, likely to be harassed, likely to be into the detention center and so on. So they were talking about those kind of practical day-to-day issues that they have to endure. And then they were also linking those to histories of colonization in France, neo-colonization, what's been the relationship between France and French companies with the countries that they have come from um, post-independence in, in the past 60 years or so, critiques of capitalism, a lot of broader broader topics. And lastly, they, they said that they chose the, the airport and that particular terminal of the airport to highlight the hypocrisy of... Um, because that, that airport... That terminal of the airport, and uh, they were saying, mostly serves internal EU flights. So they were saying that the people who are, um, you know, the passengers ta- traveling through it have unrestricted travel throughout, thro- throughout Europe. Because and, and the
1: EU. Beca-
2: yeah. yeah, because they're EU citizens, but also kind of throughout the world. I saw a kind of an illustration recently, and it was of. The countries you can go to visa-free, depending on your country of origin, and countries like Germany or so on, it can go to about 180. Kind of countries that have previously experienced colonization and so on can yeah. maybe go to around 10 or 15. That kind of disparity, and they, they were saying that like, normally people like us, people who are undocumented, people who have precarious immigration status, people from ex-French colonies, are only ever in this terminal when we're cleaning it, when we're um, handling Baggage. baggage. Uh, or if we're being deported, because there's a detention centre not far from, from there. So, this was this kind of couple of hours, a kind of where they exploded into the mm-hmm. I, I, into the scene. I guess
1: it's so upsetting, on that
0: from one of the bits of the article is a quote there. I'm going to paraphrase. The guy said, "We know our rights," mm. and that to me is the crux of the thing. They're using the language of the enlightenment. They're using the language of France itself. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. this is, this is that's the power, right? So these people who are, well, generally perceived as undocumented, doing kind of like uh, jobs that people don't consider of using high intelligence, are using the same language that you fought for freedom. And I don't know, that, is there, was there a resonance in the French population with that kind of message? Because that's, the, that's from all the stuff that I've read and some of the stuff I know, that's what they're saying, like, we know our rights the rights of fraternity, equality, liberty, the rights that you put your nation on, that you've, import, you've exported to us, that we're bringing back to you. No, but
1: it's not for you guys.
0: It, uh, I it's know, not, it's but, not but for this, you. But this is the point, it's right? Not this it's is the not point. not when you
1: look like you. Yeah. Not when you're from your country. <laughs> it's for us.
0: But this, but this has always been the point, right? So when you talk about the American Revolution and the rights of man, the epistemology of the Enlightenment never included people from the global south, basically.
2: And, but, and, and even in, in the US, like yeah. you mentioned that yeah.
0: revolution. Yeah
2: those people owned other people as, mm-hmm. as property, you know, on lands that they had just committed mm-hmm. a genocide on. So those, like, who, who, who is a man, as it were, <laughs> is always um, very, very narrowly defined. <coughs> and, and while this movement is making these these claims, they're not the first to do it, I guess. So it's not the first time that perhaps the French state has has heard it and and, and rejected it.
0: And this is where I kind of... I have a problem in 2020. What else do Europeans want us to do? We've used reason. We've begged. We've died. We've done everything. We've, we've worked for no money. We've worked for some money. We've integrated. We've assimilated. Done everything that we possibly can to show you that we're not here to cause violence. But the response from the state and the, response, and the wider response from the society in general has always been negative. So where else do we go from here? Because right now, the the Gila Noir is is showing you that even societally, we're at the lowest, we're still willing to use reason, but you're willing to use tear gas. Mm. From someone on the outside, that disparity is very clear. But to someone... We were just listening to James O'Brien a bit earlier. And to someone who's of that far-right ilk, the tear gas is probably the right response. And so... In 2020 where did we go because it's it, it, and i don't i don't want to give credence or, or put, uh, put petrol into this kind of argument it's it, it always because they want us to lead to this, some kind of confrontation so the far right wants to see this kind of mass race war and this is what we're leading to because we've reached an impasse but that's not true because i live day to day in a multi multifaceted, multi-faceted multicultural community it's fine but there's a group of I don't know, where did this cabal, <laughs> it's not the Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, where, where did we go? What was the French response to all that kind of notion of the riots
2: And I would say that, from what I observed, that even at this stage in, in their movement, March 2019, I guess the response was, was overall maybe muted, and that within maybe certain kind of left spaces, an appreciation or so on of, of this occupation and what they were doing and what they were saying. But overall it was kind of yeah, muted I guess. And like the Black Vest movement have been directing all their claims at the the Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. Basically they're going to the, the very top. They're they're trying to bypass the kind of local, kind of regional administrations which would deal with these things and just go to the very top. One of their um, kind of occupations in July it's been it's been very muted. I would say the most of the response that I've seen been, or the most animated response mm-hmm. has been from far-right and politicians and outlets, not just in France, but kind of internationally. Like I was just noticing when you were seeing, like, who's saying what, what's getting shared, especially, actually, internationally, was this, you know, was this kind
1: ungrateful, of... The ungrateful migrants. Mm. A, yeah, and,
2: a, yeah. and, and, and like, like 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 you were saying earlier about uh, kind of occupation or, or, or some, something like this, you know, and there's this kind of notion of um migrants especially from from some countries if they're in if they're coming to europe that that's those folk occupying europe and invading and so on whereas through, throughout the history the relationship has been the other way around <laughs> and the reaction from kind of far right um news sources websites the rest of it has been very much like you, you see yeah. you know this this um with this our, our, our kind of our greatest fear yeah the greatest the, fear people kind of coming here in our spaces be they uh, sacred spaces um like the the mausoleum they they occupied or just kind of practical ones and, and 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 kind of what they're saying because a lot of what the black vests are saying is that like we're not actually in a foreign country france is as much as our our home as yours mm-hmm. be, because of our histories together because of you know, we, we built this place, basically, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, from, from our resources, from our labour, um, from the blood we spilt in, in, in the World Wars and, and so on. Yeah, so for those kind of far-right out, outlets that was there.
1: I think just on both of your points, I think this really speaks to another quote from one of your um, blogs, Luke. Refugees have to be treated well, like human beings. Europe is the reason for the problems in Africa. Europe takes advantage of Africa, we are here to survive, and yet we are not treated like human beings. Yeah, that
0: disconnect. Can I give you a repost to that, right? Go on. So I'm going to quote you from 19th century Robert Carlyle, right? So I'm going to Carlyle the racist. Yeah, right. So this, but it gives you the eye, an insight to the European mentality. To paraphrase him, he says that Europeans have sweated blood to make the West Indies. We've we've said. On this soil, Oliver Cromwell died, even if he didn't, it's speaking symbolically. Europeans are the makers of industry. So it's your job as immigrants, as people from the South, to do this work, as the European is the great man of history, the engine of history. And this echoes through to all far-right kind of ideology that Europeans are somehow the kind of civilization makers. Well,
1: I don't think it's just far right. I think no, what Luke's talking to it's a liberal yeah. ideology as well. No, like, it, it, it's Macron. Yeah, no, but
0: I'm going to say you find that you find that same kind of line of argument through John Stuart Mill.
1: Yeah,
0: and John Stuart Mill argued against Robert Carlyle. But this is deep. It's fully ingrained <laughs> in European philosophy. The idea that Europeans are superior. When you're reading that, so refugees should be treated. No, they're not humans. And that's always been the case. So that's the understanding. So when I've the argument to ban slavery, one of the arguments was, Am I not a man? I had to make that argument to be classed as a human being.
1: I totally agree with what you're saying T, you, but it's so profound in what the black best say is that <laughs> they're literally I've no, I was saying to do before we started, I really had to try fight against my colonial gaze and mindset because when I'm reading the quotes and what they're saying, what they're asking for, I'm like, bloody hell, their class consciousness is outstanding. Like they're so materially aware of how inhumane they're being treated. But of course they are. Like, why do I, th- why am I shocked at reading that? And I,
2: and I, th- I think in terms of, like, the, the, the kind of quote you mentioned there yeah. about, um, you know, A, A, we built France and France kind of destroyed us. Yes. Our respective nations. There is, like, that, that point isn't really understood, I reckon, by the, the population of, of, of Britain or France or, or whatever. Oh it's so painful. Re- recently I, it, um, yeah. I I think it was Nigel Farage was, was saying about I know we're quoting too many too many <laughs> races. Uh, he he was saying about that uh, he was he was he was coming back to somebody who said like well you know co- colonization ended two hundred years ago or or, or or something, you know, some kind of long time frame yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah. Whereas whereas obviously, you know, wars of independence were were being fought, you know, (laughs) uh, until the 60s, (laughs) uh, you know, Zimbabwe wasn't independent till 1980, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, You know, (laughs) the the north of Ireland. Mm. Mm. We can go on. But, you know, that kind of, like, the most kind of, there is definitely a reaction to those kind of claims of, you know, you did this to us uh, and our countries and and so on. It's like, well, you know, that ended, Maybe six years ago, maybe eighty years ago, and we have we have nothing to do with you kind of since then, mm. and there's no role there um whereas like the the black vest in, in their statements and in their interviews are really c- trying to show show that kind of continuing relationship between france uh, and and between French com- companies and their former colonial empire, and their second like big occupation was in April in June of of 2019. And they went to um, kind of like the big business district in in Paris, which is the biggest one in Europe, occupied the headquarters of a multinational cleaning and catering company called Elior. So that was a particular company with a particular focus for them, which I'll go on to later. But while they were there, they said, we're here in the heart of imperialism. And they were listening to various companies, oil companies, arms companies, water companies that are headquartered there and kind of the relationship between those those enterprises and um, what they called the plunder of, of of Africa. You know, when we think perhaps of the plunder of, of Africa, that that's something from um, from a while back. And they're saying, you know, these kind of things are going on now. They're saying, like, France uh, military intervention is, is not history. That uh, happens on, on a regular occurrence yeah. in, in various states. They talk about um, the kind of monetary imperialism various ways that it's that history is not history basically yeah. like all those things are still being recreated now perhaps in ways that are less visible or, or maybe are invisibilized but are, are still very true and having those impacts and causing those countries to be suffering economic crises, causing people to move <laughs> and then people move and
0: they're saying what are you doing here yeah what's jarring is that disconnect between the european populace and the rest of the world the rest of the world is well aware of Europe, but Europe doesn't really care about how its impact on the rest of the world. The Gilles Noir will tell them from their kind of stories, the scars of, him, of neo-colonialism, the scars of the companies when they go there to extract the oil, the fact that the French suppliers have the first choice to, under the CIFA agreement, the first one to get purchased for us over other companies. Since 1960, 40 French interventions, military interventions in Africa. So when they challenge those CIFA arrangements, they were either removed by a coup or replaced. Their leaders were replaced. And so the countries fell into more disrepair. So France was actively engaged in destabilising their country. Yeah,
1: purposefully. Purposely
0: that they yeah. said they left. The Belgians the same. Britain the same. Like uh, with Mark Thatcher in 2004 when he went to destabilise Equatorial New Guinea. Got caught by chance in Zimbabwe by Robert Mugabe. And he got freed because Margaret Thatcher made a deal with them. And he's a multi-millionaire still. I think I don't think you even got any gel type. Disconnect with Europe is a purposeful one. Because we are in Europe we are consumers par excellence, aren't we? I don't really care who makes my iPhone. I just want an iPhone. I don't care how many yeah. <laughs> children die to make my clothes. Because we just want it. And that mm-hmm. disconnect is it's it's almost chilling because I'm I'm I've been party to it too, you know. But it's
1: like that disconnect, how it manifests, is so multifaceted as well, like I was talking to my partner the other day, and he was been talking to his dad about how the current situation, the government we've got in the UK and even in France as well, is sort of feels like it's a um, it's a failure of the education system. It's like, and I was like, no, 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 it's purposeful. Like this is all part of their plan. Like this is it's about exclusion. It's about extraction. The fact that these people. The best aren't treated human or are not treated humanely. Is purposeful. Like it's not a mistake. But, and that's what I feel like. Sometimes we like, quote unquote, liberals like think like, oh like it's so unfair. Or, like this happened. It's like no. This is what this is what they want to do. Like they don't want us here, but they want to extract from our countries of origin.
0: But you have to understand when this the system has been based on this for such a long time. This extraction. So in 1958, France signed the deal with the 14 francophone countries on the, on the CIF agreement to linking their currencies, linking so 14 the, or 16? 14 I think it is, because no. at the 14, 9 oh, are out of it now so in 2008 Jacques Chirac said without that kind of link France will be a third rate power so they know that this country, it, this their prosperity is based on extraction it always has been, so what do you replace that with? And in 2020 Europeans are beginning to ask that question so of those 14 original Francophone countries, nine have decided to go away. And what you're seeing in Africa is a movement of trying to create a, a currency that links the whole of the continent. And for the first time in its history, African countries are gonna start trading with their neighbors, which is one of the primary bases of foreign trade. You trade with your neighbor because it's the easiest thing to do. But they haven't been doing that. Mm. They've been trading th- their raw products being exported out at a low price and being brought in as refined product at a higher price. So the West Indies suffers that a lot. They ship raw nutmeg from Grenada, which is pennies.
1: but what, what's that, they extract? Nutmeg.
0: Nutmeg, is, is, sorry. And they, and
1: they buy it... Nut, like, what's nutmeg? No, no, nutmeg. <laughs> sorry.
0: And they, and they buy it back as perfume, which is like eight times the cost. And so this is the system. And so the question is, how do you replace that? What do you replace that with? Because this is the European fear. The European fear is, and again, Robert Carlo highlights <laughs> this is quite well, the fear is, If we let you black people in, to this country, into Europe... If we free them, yeah. If you bring them here, by any means, you're going to degrade this place and make it into a shithole. So the narrative that London's finished is over because it's a multicultural cesspit. Robert Carlyle, his thing was Ireland. Ireland was adjusting to England and he viewed Ireland as a failure and he said, we don't want any black islands. So he was so concerned about this thing that... This idea that if you people come to hear the contagion you bring because we can't control you and you will degrade our once great nations if you read far literature i have a tendency to do like you see that theme come across quite clearly but it's also you see that in the narrative of british legislation over time since like 1948 everyone in the british empire is a citizen by the time it gets to 1971 <laughs> we're closing that down rapidly because the fear that you're going to turn This place, so when you said they were occupying national monuments, in my head, I saw you at the Pantheon, and I was thinking, that must have freaked them out, because that's where the national heroes are. And the fact that you're this man's soiling Voltaire, like the French person who are very proud, could see that would affect them. It's a very effective way of protesting. I would do the same. That occupation you're referring to,
2: that was in July 2019, July last year. And um, they um, occupied the, the, the Pantheon in Paris, which is the um, kind of final wrestling place of many very important French figures, Voltaire, among them. The action that got them the most attention in, in France and internationally and so on, partially because how many people there were, partially because like even an airport is kind of outside of the city, you know, but this, this is really in, in, in the city and because of its kind of extreme symbolism and what France says that its, its values are about, you know, equality and uh, a republic and um, liberty for all and e- equal citizens, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're really kind of trying to say, well, you know, look at us here. Obviously, these kind of values you're you're talking about are at best limited because we wouldn't be here otherwise. And again, they always bring the kind of the practical and the maybe the symbolic together. And when they were in the place, they said the first thing they said is that we want... Access to to toilets and water because many of us sleep on the streets of this great city and are denied the access to, to toilet and water every day. So you know what I mean. Yes, it was a practical thing about occupying a building, and you will need those. But it, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Really, kind of clarifying throughout the, the few hours that, that they held it. You know, um, you were asking earlier about the re- the reactions. So there has been some positive reaction from some left wing politicians. And, you know, some came down and, and, and spoke outside of it and, and, and were listing various people who are buried there who are French citizens, but originally had migrated to France and, and so on and so forth, and were trying their kind of, trying their attempts to make those links. But it was also the action where I was speaking with one of the members just, Um, after, I think it was after the, the, the airports, and I was like, aren't... You know, naively of myself, aren't you worried? Aren't you worried? You know, you know, occupying an airport, occupying this this bit, aren't you worried about the repercussions? And he was like, Luke, when I take the metro to work every day, I fear those same repercussions. You know what I mean? So, you know, g- get in, get in the metro or occupying this huge building. It's, it's kind of the same risk to me. You know, I have, to, I have to deal with those risks every day. Not that I want to, not that I enjoy them, not that I don't think about them, but the reality that you, you're thinking of and, and the one that, that we're experiencing are different. Nonetheless, for this, for this occupation, they were negotiating with the police and the police said, uh, eventually, okay, you, you know, you have here, you've, you've made your points, you've got various people to respond and whatever, Now now leave, we'll let you leave uh, if you leave, we'll let you leave, as it were. If you leave, we won't control you, we won't ask for ID or, or immigration checks or anything like that. And they were like, OK, settle, let's go. As you can imagine, when they left, that isn't what happened. And the police, the, the kind of the violence that you, you've seen before, either in, in Calais or, or against Yellow Vest. Uh, so they said, we'll let you go, and then they take
1: us for them.
2: Yes, but it was more that as people left, they stopped people and said, OK, where's your ID? You know, and people obviously didn't have it, and then people try to, you know, obviously run, and and people were were bat- uh, batoned and 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 beaten and so on, and this in- included n- not that there are any that there's sh- anyone is is uh, worthy of French violence, obviously not, but it was still nonetheless striking that even uh, like a, a photographer from a national newspaper was was assaulted by the police when he was taking photos of someone being arrested. It was quite the gilets noirs were to say quite deliberately. You know, they knew that the, the world's eyes were on mm. them and they were going to say this is what happens when, mm. you, when you try and, well, when you, when you, try and, we, we,
0: you talk, know... The same. Yeah, but, but yeah, it, and the say.: Yeah, uh,
2: basically. And many people were arrested. I think about, about 35 people were injured. It was quite brutal.
0: This is our, our issue. We have a disconnect with our recent history. So France did the same with Algeria. So this is post-1955. They did the same in Vietnam. Their reaction is very draconian they've tended to crack down hard on dissidents, right, or people they consider dissidents. If you see it in that context, it's the same continuity, yeah. how, the French, how the French are behaving. And this is what's disappointing. In all this time, what's changed?
2: It's another important note to make of this moment now in France is that for the past couple of years, they've been living under, like, emergency legislation that came about after the terrorist attacks. Charlie Hebdo, all, yes. you know, in, in that couple of years... And a lot of that kind of emergency powers then just became, you know, just normal legislation and and so on. So, yeah, very much this kind of, I think an academic called Macron like a liberal authoritarian or or an extreme centrist or something like this. You know, these kind of values, but really, really the iron fist.
0: Stuart Hall kind of speaks to this from Police in the Crisis. So there's a crisis, but I need more power, but I only get power through consent. So I am to tell you there's a fear. And this, again, that fear of being overrun, and I think what reinforced it was probably the migrant crisis. Is Angela Merkel? Let the migrants in. And that kind of picks up the, the Dublin regulations. So the idea that migrants are now in that kind of far right rhetoric is that they're willingly seeking out places to come to exploit. So Dublin regulations Dublin say you stay where you arrive, the closest country but they say migrants are choosing, for example, they're choosing to come to Britain just to exploit the system. And like I said, that's (laughs) like of all the reasons, probably the least likely reason, because they get treated badly for the whole journey. But that's the narrative that's being put across. That's the narrative that's, if you speak, again, generally to kind of these people, that's what they'll say, that these people are coming here to exploit the system. And my retort usually is like, that's not very likely. In my own family experience, that hasn't been the case, and these people tend to be very proud because they brought they've been brought up in the colonies, right? And so they tend to be it's, it's almost quite quite perverse. They're very traditional British or traditional French.
2: Last year, um, President Macron announced a big debate, a great debate about immigration, um, and uh,
1: AKA debating who
2: is human, basically. Mm-hmm. And in the in the, in the it, it, In the announcement to it, um, he made a speech where he was talking about how him and the members of his party are not um, affected, quote-unquote, by immigration. He said, we don't have to live with it, i.e. we don't have to live with uh, immigrants, we live, I guess, you know, in... In gated the posh, communities. posh areas, gated communities and, and so on. We've we
1: had enough from the liberally, like now it's time to hear d- to the real people. Now it's time to hear from them what they need.
2: So 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 he he makes he makes this this kind of point where he's saying about how um workers, the working class in France, um have to um deal, quote unquote, have to endure quote unquote um migrants and, and migration and therefore um, we have to. We have to take a, a hard line. Otherwise, we're going to lose the workers to other parties, predominantly he means um, the the, 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 the yeah national rally now. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Why well, call that now? Yeah. It, it, was, it was a, re, a re- rebrand, Rebranding. rebrand, rebrand, but okay. yeah. And it was interesting when he was talking about this, as um, a commentator pointed out that. Um, you can see in Macron's policies, if Macron really cared about what working people in France wanted, he wouldn't be trying to change their pensions and introducing all these various other kind of neoliberal economic reforms, right? If it's saying what's important to French people, those are the issues that they've said are are important to them. Even just taking his argument at face value. Uh, which I don't think you should do, but, but, but not nonetheless.
1: It's about shifting the so blame, isn't
2: it? It's, it? Precisely. And, you know, he, what, like, like I said, what is the context in, in which he's, he's saying this? It's the context in which, you know, there's a lot of strikes by the, the French unions against him. There's the Yellow Vest uh, movement against him. He, he's trying to, yeah, I guess perhaps uh, shift the blame onto someone else.
1: Yeah, and he's like, guys, guys, honestly, like, I know I haven't listened to you before, but I'm listening now. Uh, mm. I want to have a talk.
2: But <laughs> and, basically,
1: and, and, the problem is the black people,
2: and and it's, not my
1: policies.
2: <laughs> and it's you know he, as we've kind of seen in in the UK and other countries, the thing of now we have to get tough. We haven't had a debate before, happens in a, in a vacuum because. In two thousand and eighteen, he introduced um, legis- an- anti-migrant legislation. We can just plainly call it um, that. Was described as some of you know the the most restrictive, harshest stuff to come out since the end of the Second World War. Um, kind of doubling the time amount of time someone can spend in a detention center, and kind of just various curtailing rights. So it's not the f- you know it's not the first time he's he, he's coming to it, but he, he saw the kind of the value for a renewed. Um, effort, a renewed kind of push on this, and even the debate he he announced, there was no, so it was a debate in the National Assembly, there was no um, vote attached to it, so it was purely a a kind of symbolic exercise, Um, but they did kind of point to some um, directions of travel, Mm -hmm. so one of them is around um, healthcare, there's a a kind of health... um, there's a way that undocumented people can access healthcare, basically. Um, And while he previously said, you know, it's a sacrosanct and we'll never touch it, it was kind of like, well, you know, you know, and and the the kind of similar things you see on other kind of anti-worker rhetoric around, uh, well, there's abuse of it, right? And um, obviously, the kind of the NGOs were able to say, well, actually, um, there's perhaps X amount of abuse, you know, 0.07% um, where there's a far greater number of people who are entitled to it who don't claim it, you know, anything about that, the system is, is being being abused or so on. There was a... It's not true. Okay. It, it's yeah, not yeah. true. So it's uh, being
1: used as an ideological weapon. And,
2: and at the same time, so it's separate from the yellow uh, black vest, but at the same time as when this debate t- took place, um, the CGT, which is a big union there, and a, a kind of militant union um, that had been organising a lot of the strikes that had been kind of... Um, crippling Paris over the past couple of months in, in retaliation to pension reform had organized with 140 undocumented migrants employed in 12 different companies in Paris and um, th- so they went on strike and they went on strike one to get their immigration status sorted and secondly to deal with the working conditions that so they'd be working you know maybe like 10-12 hours a day six days a week and backbreaking work and getting five five six hundred euros for this, which is, you know, far, far below what a worker would normally make if they were paid fairly. And in the kind of media and so on around this, the union and the workers were, were really trying to push, trying to flip what Macron was saying on his head. And he was saying that um, migrants, undocumented or otherwise, are an integral part of the working class in France. They are now and they and they always have been. And this kind of division is a is, is, uh, a false division mm-hmm. and trying to kind of endear that rather than saying it's that the the, the white French worker and the millionaires mm-hmm. have something in common, which which you know which they they not not in the class sense obviously mm-hmm. um, they don't, and, and all of those 140 workers were successful in, um, in 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 their demands. So,
0: but what's quite interesting though is that what Macron is doing is what. Um, Johnston did here, Rees-Mogg, Trump, uh, Auburn, they speak, these they're the elite, but they're somehow people think they're speaking the truth. They're speaking, and it doesn't have, they don't have to enact policy because policy is boring, it involves regulation, it involves reading. People want to hear that these people are somehow telling, they're plain speaking. So they're saying what everyone, in, in inverted commas, is has on their mind. Mm. And, and and some
2: researchers around the time of this, around the time of this speech and debate and so on, said, what happens um, in the majority of cases, is that when Macron or a kind of liberal president or liberal leader takes this line, people just believe um, what Le Pen is saying, because okay. they say if you're taking that argument, mm-hmm. but they're the expert at it, <laughs> you know, they actually know, you know yeah, what yeah, I yeah. mean? Mm. And, I, and you know, we've seen we've seen the same in the, in the UK, in the US, in, in many many countries mm-hmm. when. Center right or liberal or so on parties take say okay we're we're taking the line and maybe a watered down version of it policies shift rightwards but also people say well you know who are we going to believe on this issue the people who have been shouting about it for sixty years and have done their homework or you who are kind of late to the party and very um, scary and depressing but we want the
1: professional fascists yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) just. just to, we're coming to an end now. It'd be really good if you could just sort of summarise where we are now, what's happening now. I think I saw on the news that like some there some of the, the camps had been was some of the places where people were staying had been had it, been ordered out by the police. Yeah,
2: so around November last year the interior nineteen yeah, yeah. and the interior minister said that um of the kind of camps um, that are around Paris. There's, there's various kind of encampments of people living together for safety.
1: Quote, unquote, undocumented.
2: It, it could be, it's interesting, it could be people undocumented. It's also some people who have refugee status and just haven't been able to access a housing or, or whatever due to, you know, lack of money, racial discrimination and so on. And one
1: so. of them are children,
2: I don't know the breakdown between men, oh, men I, I, I women, and I've children. I think
1: I've read somewhere, I might be wrong, but a quarter of them are children
2: Or I okay. 18. Okay. Definitely are children, families, you know, the, the, the single men, single women, the whole kind yeah. of spectrum in there. So basically, yeah, the Interior Minister was saying, we want to clear all, all these camps out. We're going to have them done by the end of the year. They didn't get it done by the end of the year, but this Tuesday, so early February 2020, the last kind of camp was uh, evicted and people were taken to... Um, other kinds of, of shelters. However, what people I was just reading some some press there and and people in in these camps were kind of giving interviews and one woman her name was Fatima she was from Sudan originally she was saying that I've been evicted from the camps before and taken to these centers and they're not safe for my children so I'm you know I'm just going to leave basically one, once I'm there and you have to wonder what what's going on where that woman feels that it's safer to be kind of okay. in a camp you know on the, on the side of the river mm-hmm. um, with, with other with other people than, than in these in these centers so she's waiting on her <coughs> um, asylum claim to be processed other people said i've already got in my refugee status you know french people or british people whatever people sleep homeless because of these these general housing crises and economic crises so he, he was saying i'll go there they'll see that I don't need a claim to be processed, and I'll leave again. Other people are, like we mentioned, um, people affected by Dublin regulations, and again, they're going to say, well, you need to leave and go to Italy or Greece or whatever. Kind of the groups that work with with people on the ground that said, you know, we've seen this before. You know, the cameras are on, everyone will be taken, and then, you know, people will either leave the shelters or be kicked out. What's going to happen to them? The police have said, we're going to monitor all these sites and make sure no camps are rebuilt. Generally, then, what it will mean is that people live in more precarious and more dangerous situations, you know, alone or what have you. You know, like Calais camp was not the living situation anyone chose to live in. Nonetheless when these camps are are destroyed and and people are are spread out, they're they're less safe basically. (laughs) Thing that's going on for the black vest themselves. So there's this company, um, LER, is a big catering cleaning company, outsourcing company, and they operate in like 14 different countries, a billion-dollar company. Blackvest say that they also employ undocumented workers, including people from that movement, and exploit them in in the kind of ways uh, we talked about. So they've been pushing for um, better working conditions, for people who've been fired to be taken back in, for the company to to sign the necessary documents so that they can take to the authorities and kind of get their immigration status sorted. They're having this long back and forth with the company. Earlier in January, they've been targeting companies that work with Elior, so Nespresso cafes or Ebis hotels or whatever, and just go in there kind of causing a ruckus and just you know trying to make life difficult. difficult. And they've recently... Started proceedings in the labor court in France against the company and This has just started so you know, it will be it'll be a process but last year in 2019 there was a ruling by by this court in favor of uh, 25 undocumented migrants from Mali who worked in construction and took a claim against their employer and because they said that they purposely gave us the worst jobs because um, we couldn't um, we weren't in a p- position to complain um, because of our undocumented status. And this included someone fa- falling from unsafe scaffolding, an employer refusing to call an ambulance. Oh, my God. Um, so, you know, really, really kind of the worst working conditions. The court awarded them in around €35,000 each. Um, but also, importantly, it said that they suffered systemic racial discrimination. Okay. Um, which is a first... In France. In, first in yeah. France. And perhaps is a precedence that, you know, can be used by um, the Gilles Noir in, in their court cases or in further actions that other people are, are likely to take. But
1: that's quite... I mean, this is no, quite massive. an episode. But it's but not, like That's a massive that, thing. That's quite a... That's I'm not going to uh, say a
0: word. I'm not going <laughs> to say a word.
1: I will <laughs> say, <word>. I'll say <laughs> after. I'll say it after. Go on, say, say it. Say
0: Say it. Say it. <laughs> so, I was going to say, so that kind of court finding... Of systemic racism, just like we have uh, we have reports or tribunes, into institutional racism, it's effective for a time, and then it just dis- disappears.
1: Yeah, but, and but, then, but, uh, but uh, I think it's slightly different. That's not a writing report. That's not like a. That's not just rhetoric. They're giving them the money. They're giving them the compensation. They're validating their claim. their the abuse. And, and so you and, and, and you that. Um,
0: No, but we but you. There's a precedent set in law, so you can refer to this, right? Yeah. And so we we refer to institutional racism. We understand it's a thing.
1: Yeah.
0: But what gets done?
1: Well, this is something
0: that's... Like I said, for a time, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then then I find we always need reminding. And this is a problem. So we know there is systemic racism. Courts will make a ruling on it, right? So going back to things like the Dred Scott case and stuff like that, that when these rulings are made, they're made, and for a time, they're effective. Yeah. But then, like we understand, this is a process, right? And it takes a long time. But we need to kind of keep reminding people of these things and of these victories and to make sure that these courts the land at large take note of these things those little tiny things like I said they disappeared Look, so uh, I said to someone recently the Scarman report They was like what's that mm. the first report in the UK to about institutional racism
1: but, no. I, but I do I do slightly disagree with you there T because mm. we're in a moment of authoritarian centrism far right governments across the whole of Europe like mm. it's very difficult to number one Imagine hope and number two, think about like actual tangible social justice and particularly thinking about all the pushback against the black vests and this being a case where a judge has literally validated that that experience and how their treatment was wrong and then giving them compensation on that. Like, I, I know what you're saying that this stuff gets forgotten, it needs to be kept reminded, but I'm in light a- of everything that's happened across Europe. I'm going to take that win
2: for now. The Black Vest and the kind of movements that have come before them Mm -hmm. are trying to shift the narrative and shift their material conditions. And so people like this movement, people would look back to the last kind of big movement in France, which was in the mid to late 1990s. And it's where the, the term undocumented like literally without papers even came about mm-hmm. because before it would be more about illegal and so on. You know what I mean? And they were really trying to shift that. And like that kind of movement kind of crescendoed when they, in the mid 1990s when they occupied a church for a summer and, you know, you had kind of music stars and everyone coming down and, and, mm-hmm. You know various reforms and and so on and so forth, but it was them, yeah, trying to change their conditions, but also trying to bring in that kind of uh, stuff around um, colonization and, and 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 so on, and trying to say that this this is an issue for for the left, for uh, for trade unions, for for those kind of movements, I guess, which
0: mm-hmm.
2: sometimes, like here in Britain as other places, see them as kind of removed or or at worst working against each other. So what the black vests have been doing is definitely, I would say, not not sitting still. You know, i have been trying different things. So yeah, I'll be I'll be interested to see what what they've got in store.
1: Luke, that was brilliant and a nice place to end. Although, yeah, we're we're sceptical, <laughs> but that's a little bit of hope at the end.
0: I'm hopeful. I I think they're doing a good job.
1: Yeah.
2: I'll say something. You can do what you want with it, but there was, uh, there was um, for half of last year and a bit of this year, there was these workers in another area of France not connected with the Blackfest again, uh, working for a postal company called Chronopost, um, which is a subsidiary of the National Post Service and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And they were on strike for about seven months looking for better working conditions, but more importantly, kind of permits to be able to live and work in France. And at the end of that, they got those. They got the permit to live and work mm-hmm. in France. So for a lot of people, they didn't know if they'd have a job to go back to, or so on.
1: Come, on, we need to get more like France. They're militant there. Like but they've we got need
0: a, to... They've got a, a tradition of that.
1: Well, let's make it. Yeah, the tradition has to start and come somewhere. <laughs> let's get on the roads. <laughs> <laughs> like because they do, don't they? The yellow vests, they lay on the roads. Like yeah.
2: It is interesting that you, basically an undocumented person can get a kind of residence permit if they've been working in France, right? It's, it's an exceptional circumstances thing, but it happens, it happens a fair bit. And the problem is, obviously, is that when you're working, you're not working under your own name, right? You're using someone else's uh, residence permit or ID or whatever to get that job. And people say it's like, it's so blatantly, not you in the photo, but they employ you anyways, because they know they want to exploit you and so <laughs> on like this. Um, and so it's like, it's a complicated process because you have to get your company, A, to give you pay slips, and a work contract, and so on, and also to sign something that says the person I'm employing is not actually John, but Frank. You know what I mean? Um, so that company has to a give up their right to exploit you, as it were, and also admit that you were working that they employed someone yeah. um, who didn't have that permission. It's so it's a very difficult thing, but nonetheless, possible. but it is possible, and that's something which is like more unique than in in other places where kind of once you become undocumented kind of like here with very few exceptions mm. that's you can never change that you can never kind of get out of that you're banished from from life from civil society can't can't work properly can't access public you know healthcare or anything mm. like that and, and none of them none of them think that any of this is good quote unquote it's just like what 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 what, what can, we, what can do? we do to yeah. A, change my situation today and be maybe change our broader situation for tomorrow.
1: That was brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us, Luke.
0: Thanks for having me. Thanks, Luke. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Surviving Society. Please support the podcast by rating, following and subscribing on your preferred
0: podcast platform. And please consider supporting the production of the podcast by joining our Patreon community.